as as a grantor, um, what I'm looking for is is really humility. I strongly believe it doesn't matter whether you're an insider or outsider to a community in which you're telling the story. It's whether there's the acknowledgement of where one stands. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Sky. So, funny story. The person who we have on today's episode, who I'm super excited about, her film was the first one that we ever screened in the history of the Video Consortium. On January 29th, 2015, we screened five films that kicked off the beginning of the Video Consortium. And the first one ever was Posey Tang's uh, Jihadist in Our Family, which is an amazing short film that she produced while she was a journalist at the New York Times. So major history here. Yeah. And she's had quite a career since then. She, as you said, was at the Times. uh, And she later went to Al Jazeera English. She was their documentary commissioner and senior producer. Uh, She later produced and commissioned uh, the Academy Award nominated St. Louis Superman. Mm -hmm. Which is amazing. Which is incredible. And she now is IDA's Funds and Enterprise Program Director, IDA being the International Documentary Association. Yeah. And it's it's really wonderful to see her going from being a like a maker to a commissioner. Gatekeeper is a terrible word, but to have both perspectives um, is so integral. And I think um, something so special that she brings to her to her work and the new vision that she has at the IDA. Yeah, it was really interesting to talk to her about like her background, which is fascinating, her transition from journalism into documentary, which are, of course, so similar, but also really different uh, in many ways. And also just her her new position at IDA and what they're looking for in projects to fund, which as filmmakers, we all are always wondering. Totally. Well, it's great to see it all come full circle from that tiny New York gathering in Brooklyn to, to now, you know, and sharing, sharing the knowledge with everyone. So I'm really excited to hear this. Totally. Yeah. So, um, this is Posey Tang and you're listening to Rough Cut. Here we go. Thank you so much, Poe, for doing this. We're really excited to talk to you. Um, can you talk a little bit about what brought you to this place and what made you interested in telling stories in the first place? Um, I guess depends, Jenny. Like how how way back you know should we go? <laughs> Whatever, uh, as far back as you want to go. Whatever feels relevant. Okay, I guess you know I'll I'll go back to to where I'm from. So I was born and raised in Malaysia. Um, I am uh, ethnic Chinese, and uh, Malaysia is a, a a country where um, un- unfortunately uh, rights and privileges are not the same for citizens. Uh, third, second generation, it's just different. You know, you have affirmative action for the majority of which I am a minority. So because of that, um, it's just uh, a lot of things is just inherently not fair, uh, you know, it, just from how I was growing up and and seeing that it, it, journalism was an avenue, a way in which to tell certain stories. Um, but there's very heavy media censorship in Malaysia. There still is a legacy from British colonial era laws uh, in place. And so the idea was to do journalism and to explore it in the United States. 
So I came to the US. Um, this was 2003, I believe, 2003. And th this was the time, the few years when I was doing journalism in college in the United States was sort of the, the time in which uh, news organizations were investing uh, heavily into photo slideshows. I don't know if you remember that that era it was like audio slideshows of photos. And then there was the and then from that emerged video journalism in the uh, news media, online media landscape. And so I was I was sort of in that that it, I, that's where I came out from that from that time, you know, and jumped into 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 filmmaking. It was more for traditional news organizations and it wasn't really really filmmaking per se. It was a lot of uh, doing B-roll and, and, and doing wire service stuff. And in fact, um, my background has always been in, in print journalism. And then slowly towards the end in college, going into these audio slideshows and I'd worked for different newspapers as an intern covering different beats, but mostly in print. So from the Columbus Dispatch in Ohio, I'd written some stuff for the Oakland Tribune, uh, interned at the Virginian Pilot, the Miami Herald. And then my first job was as a camera person for the Associated Press. And that was, that was how I, I you know, moved into the video space and then the documentary filmmaking space that came to me much later. Mm. Um, and you mentioned that you were working at different news publications um, all over the country. And I, I read that you went back to Malaysia to make um, a film. That's that's right. Um, Can you talk about like your decision making in that? Yeah, so you know it was a, it was a wonderful few years in the United States, learning the ropes of you know uh, journalism and how to do it, especially in in the American context. Um, but it was time to move on, and at that time, I was working for the Associated Press as a camera person. Amazing organization to work with. I mean, you learn to be fast, you learn to be accurate, you learn. You learn, you, you, I learned a lot from an established entity like the AP. But there was also an opportunity to go into the independent documentary filmmaking world and make my own films. And there was an opportunity where there was a grant um, from this organization called uh, Comas, uh, which is tied to the Malaysian Freedom Film Fest, um, to pitch a film uh, and get funding for it. And so I did, I got the funding and, and I made my first half hour observational documentary film called Pachalobang, uh, which is set in Kuala Lumpur. And it's about Muslim transgender sex workers in Malaysia. And that, after that, I realized, okay, okay, this is what I want to do. Yeah. What, what was it about the filmmaking process that you were so attracted to as opposed to journalism? Um, you know, I, I, it, it's still journalism, um, but there was just more room, more space, more time to really go deep. A lot of times when you're doing um, straight journalism for a news media organization, there's only so much resources that you have, so much time, so much airtime. Um, even when it's online, you only have that many minutes, you know, that sometimes an organization would allow you to have your stories for. In, the, in documentaries, um, you really have the opportunity to really go deep with your participants and really explore a lot of the, the important themes and issues 
that are very that are that are being put out there in the in the news world, you know, for that to to for. Um, but you're able to to spend time with your participants and let and explore those layers, and also explore a lot of the questions that one might have um, that you cannot explore within a, a set time frame for a broadcast hour or a broadcast half hour. Um, so that. Yeah, I I, re- I really love that about film, and um, you could also take conversations and issues beyond um, what is in in the news and move it along further and tie it to your own lived experience and tie it to you know potentially how you want the the questions the gray that you want to explore. Yeah, that's really well said. It kind of leads into. My next question, which is, I mean, I think people think of journalism as being objective and being very facts focused and information focused and film as more of, you know, something that has a perspective and a message. Um, but I I feel like some people who view documentaries kind of like put those things together, like they'll see a documentary and they'll be like, oh, it had such a perspective and or it had such an agenda and it should have been more balanced or, you know, they, they almost like want documentaries to be more like journalism. I'm just curious, like as somebody who's worked in both spaces, like how do you see the role of perspective in documentary? Yeah. I think uh, there's a misconception on... Uh, journalism and objectivity and there's a misconception of what journalism is in documentary I mean even if you look at outside of the documentary space and field if you just look at journalism are we truly ever objective I mean what does that even mean I don't I don't really I, I can't understand simply because regardless of of where of where who we are and where we come from we all bring our lived experiences and that sort of shapes our idea of what is fair and objective so anybody who 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 thinks that there is a set guidelines for objectivity that it's not touched that is that is not touched by nuance of the our lived experience that that is a that is a mistake um and one sure one can be truly objective uh, but that means that 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 person is so privileged, has never ever experienced any kind of um, has never experienced anything, any kind of experience where one was othered, um, and and wow, then you can be truly objective. And is that really true for every single person? Uh, I would think not. And so I think it's important, even in the journalism context, to shift away. Yes, there is accuracy, uh, which which one should adhere to. There is ethics in journalism, which one should adhere to. But pure objectivity, it doesn't even make sense. It it it, it is more important for to to have that as a goal to reach. But it's really fairness, and it's really um, having intentionality and posi- positionality, and not sort of not and, and, and thinking through one's own privilege when thinking about objectivity in journalism. And then in the filmmaking side, um, uh, where, where you mentioned, you know, when, 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 fil- when, when audiences watch a film, it's like, oh, there's such a strong perspective. Um, maybe that's more enhanced in many ways. Um, but does a film with perspective, is it devoid of journalism? No, it can actually still have uh, journalistic rigor in it. 
um, because it still meets the standards and practices of journalism, accuracy, uh, uh, and, and, and ethics, and that's still in the film. It's just that maybe, perhaps, there is a, a clearer perspective, but it doesn't mean that the film uh, is devoid of a right to reply. If there's an accusation made, you know, it, it, how is the filmmaker or the filmmaking team incorporating um, uh, the other, other, other side or, you know, or the right of reply into the film, which is very important. Is it needed? Is it not needed? How is it addressed? And so even with films where there's a very strong perspective, it can still have journalistic rigor. Hmm. Do you feel like having a clear perspective is like an essential part of making a good documentary? Do you think you could have a good film without a, a clear perspective? I don't think you can. Hmm. A clear perspective is needed in, in storytelling, period. Because without a clear perspective, um, what is the director's vision? And, and even when, when speaking about the director's vision, it's so important to root that in intent and to understand one's position and to understand one's privilege, especially if the director is an outsider going into a community that is not his, hers, theirs, and, and telling that story. Without that kind of um, perspective, and if I may, level of humility, what kind of film is gonna be made? It could be a film that could be very detrimental because that hasn't been thought through. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations on this podcast about authorship because it does feel like it's something that's in the conversation a lot more. And it does feel like on a lot of grant applications, when I'm talking to my friends who are applying for grants, like a lot of people are really struggling with that question of like, who am I to make this film? Is there anything that you, when you see on an application um, for a grant that really stands out as like a strong answer to that question um, without getting too specific, obviously? Mm-hmm. That's actually a really uh, good question, and in fact, it was um, IDA uh, earlier this year, our our funds department, um, along with Sundance uh, last year, that really kicked off um, authorship in in grant applications because it is essential and the and the right thing to do. But what does it actually mean, uh, authorship in connection to the story? What is what are funders actually asking for when they're asking applicants to write in that section, which is really key in their application? Um, it really comes back to positionality and intentionality. That's all we're asking filmmakers. Um, think through like. Why, what is the intent of making the film? What is your position and privilege? And, and as, as a grantor, um, what I'm looking for is, is really humility. I strongly believe it doesn't matter whether you're an insider or outsider to a community in which you're telling the story. It's whether there's the acknowledgement of where one stands. And that is what, as a grantor, you know, uh, uh, I'm looking for and our reviewers are looking for. Um, and it's also uh, a common misconception and mistake to think that this is a question um, that only applies to white filmmakers. Filmmakers of color are not, they have to answer this question. And if they don't answer it, they are also dinged in their application. You know, no, nobody is exempt from this question. And in fact, I would say every filmmaker, if you're going to make a film, you should be asking these questions. Uh, 
you really, really should be thinking through um, uh, authorship and connection to the story. And if a filmmaker is uncomfortable or does not want to address this, then maybe this person is not supposed to make the film. And you see a lot of filmmakers, successful filmmakers out there, um, and you can tell they've never had to address this ever in their lives. They've gone on and have made lots of films about communities not of their own. And, and now um, in recent times where they're pushed to answer um, very publicly, uh, why are you the one to tell the story? They can't explain. And they think it's an attack on them. When really it's a legitimate question, which all of us should be asking. And as somebody who comes, who, who before I was a, a, a in the grant making space and the funder, um, I come from a filmmaking background as a person of color. And I will say in very white spaces, I was always asked this connect, uh, you know, this question, connection to the story, authorship. Um, and I saw many of my peers who were white were never asked this question. And I thought to myself, you know, earlier this year, um, when I joined IDA and became director of funds, this is a this is an important change that we needed to have in our application, and it will be it is important for all filmmakers to address this, and it's actually essential um, in the conceptualization uh, of the films they're going to make, and in the and that filmmakers think through the teams that they're going to have, so that they can work collaboratively to make the best film possible for our society. Mm. And you have an interesting perspective being someone who's both made films and are now in kind of a gatekeeping space. Like, is there, when you think back to like the times that you were asked that question, was there ever a time that you struggled with knowing what the answer was? Um, I, I don't, I don't think I ever struggled per se with, with knowing what the answer was. I just thought, dang, this is inherently unfair um, that as a person of color, I'm always asked, you know, who are you to tell the story whereas my white peers and counterpart were always given a pass. I think that was, it, it, just, it just showed to me back then, and even now I see it playing out in, in many production companies and also newsrooms, like it's inherently unfair. But this question of authorship and connection to the story, it's very important. And I'm glad that I, just, I, I, was, I had to think through it. You know, it, 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 it's important, but everybody should, should have to think through it as well. Um, it just makes better stories. Hmm. On the podcast, we talk a lot about like the idea of exploitation um, of subjects. Like a lot of people, when they're making a film, they're concerned about like, you know, that they could potentially be taking advantage of their subjects. And I don't know, sometimes filmmaking or documentary filmmaking does feel exploitative. What do you think a filmmaker owes their subject? And um, do you think it's possible to make a documentary without taking advantage of, of subjects in any way? I think there's always the real risk of exploiting, even with the best intent. What is that saying? Um, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it now. Like, uh, the, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know... I will say individually, we all lack like a larger ability to, to, to see and to have this broad perspective, which is why it's so important to have 
to work with uh, people in your your filmmaking team that can that can have different perspectives so that you don't fall into potentially exploiting or doing something to participants to your participants that you did not intend to um, and and that's where having a diverse inclusive team that collaborates uh, meaningfully is going to help um, to steer the filmmaking team and the director and the producer away from that. I hope that answers your question. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think back, like all the ways in which, uh, you know, filmmakers have been exploitative. I mean, consent is, is a big part, you know, what does consent mean? And, and, and it's always good for all filmmakers to think through it. There are two aspects to consent. And this is tied to your question about exploitation. There are two aspects of consent. One aspect and framework to think about it is the ethical, the ethics of consent. And another way to think about it is the legal aspect and framework of consent. As a filmmaker, um, oftentimes, depending on the kind of uh, production you're working on, you're going to need releases, you're going to need sign informed consent um, for legal protections and you know legal liability and all that but then there's also the ethics side of consent at any given point of time even though you're you you may be um there's there's already a written contract and there's the you know that that the contract has been signed and you're protected legally and and the participant has signed that what if the participant halfway changes his her their mind and that has to be addressed as well um, and so I think looking at consent in these two frameworks is essential um, to thinking through um, and uh, in the process of making a film with a participant in hopes of not ever going down the path of exploitation. Um, because, you know, it, it's just it's just very essential to think of it in that way. And that is just essentially the first step. Yeah. Yeah, and also thinking about like maybe the results that your film will have on their life, like yeah. if it might have a negative result. No, and really that tricky is tricky questions. It is a very tricky question, and 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 that and so as filmmakers, and I, and I still consider myself a filmmaker, uh, even though I'm in a decision-making role. Um, as filmmakers, we can never guarantee safety, security, how things will play out. That's just something that we cannot tell the participant. Oh, don't worry about that. Oh, you know, this this outcome, this is not going to happen. You cannot make that promise. Promising that is is it could also lead to, you know, depending how you look at it, exploitation. You're steering somebody to believe something that you don't know, and they're agreeing to consenting to being part of the film in a certain way. You know, if nothing happens, with the release of the film and everything is is good and 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 nothing and nothing um, negative happens, great. But what if something did? And so no promises should be made, but only that um, there is a deep level of respect. You'll always be as transparent as possible uh, when it is possible together, and you're going to go on this ride and this journey together. And that is what filmmakers can promise the participant and should. Hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, I I like ran into a situation recently where I'm, I'm trying to produce something and the person who one of my subjects was like, okay, great, I'd love to be a part of this, but like, 
what do I get out of it? And that I feel like comes up often with people, especially who are in like really dire situations is like, why would I be a part of your like art project? Like I have so many other things to worry about in my life. And those are good conversations to have early on in the mid in the middle in the end of production when the film is being released it should be a constant conversation like why should somebody let you into their lives well they're good good for good reason too to get the story out there and and so so much of that is bound by by trust between the participant and the filmmaker um in telling the story together um it's 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 a there, it can still have the journalism and the journalistic rigor and aspects of that, but it's still, in many ways, you're 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 tied together, especially in this one very intense time from the beginning of production up until the film is released into the world. You owe it to to each other to be honest and as transparent as possible. But you know, with all filmmakers, I think the biggest fear is you you commit so much time, you commit so much resources, and halfway through. The participant uh, said, I don't want to do this anymore. And what do you do? And there is no straightforward, clear answer on what to do. Everything is a constant conversation so that when you get to that point, hopefully there'll be a way to talk through things so that you can still make the film, which would ideally be beneficial and be good for, for the both of you. Yeah. Yeah, that is like, I think a lot of people's worst nightmare, <laughs> putting is. in a lot of money and time and then, you know, their subject dropping out. It's, yeah, yeah. It, which it, I'm sure it, it's happened a lot. It happens. It happens all the time. Yeah. It's happened to me. And it's I mean, it just uh, and it is just one of those things so that when you before you get to that point, make sure that there's that level of trust and bond. Yeah, um, maybe we should transition to IDA's grant program. Um, We've talked a little bit about authorship and what makes a strong application there, but in general, and I know this is a big question, but what is IDA looking for in grantees? What are the kind of projects that really stand out? So we have our three big funds. We have the Enterprise Documentary Fund, and that one is rooted in journalism. That one, we're really looking for films that have thematic relevance um, and you know something that is extremely relevant that will be relevant now, that will be relevant five years and even hopefully twenty years from now, but that's rooted in journalistic practices. So it has to be accurate, it has to be ethical in the way it's conceptualized and the way it's made. It has to ha- you know have uh, ideally good um, uh, like the filmmaker would have thought through the kind of legal support or at least have questions on. On, on the legal aspects of it, uh, safety and security, how to protect sources. And so that is essentially what we're looking for for the Enterprise Documentary Fund. In terms of aesthetics, it can be it can be anything really. It's not we're not looking for a traditional news documentary. It can be an observational verite film following a few participants, but it is um, anchored on something that's very relevant, that where the stakes are very high and the story needs to be told now. So that is the Enterprise Documentary Fund. For our Parallel Fund, which is supported by the New York Community Trust, that fund is thematic. So every year there are different themes. Last year, the theme was criminal justice. And earlier this year, um, the theme uh, that we uh, put out with the open call was challenging white supremacy. 
And with this theme, we asked our filmmakers uh, who were interested in applying to think through what would their interpretations of challenging white supremacy be. And the third one, which I'm very excited about, which will be launched, uh, we're going to announce the grantees soon, is our IDA XRM Media Incubator Fund. This fund focuses specifically on uh, verite documentary shorts with a focus on emerging filmmakers from all over the world. So with this fund, there are three grantees are, will be chosen. Each will be given um, $25,000 unrestricted and they will be paired with an Academy nominated or Emmy nominated director. Awesome. Is there anything else that you want to say about what makes a strong grant application? I, I think, you know, um, it really, I, I say this and I hope I'm not being too cryptic, Jenny. Uh, um, be honest in your application. Write in the gaps of, write in your gaps of knowledge. And that is what we're looking for in the authorship connection to the story section. What are the gaps that you could potentially uh, have in your film based on your lived experience? How are you or your team going to address that? It is very important to, to make sure that the stakes of your film, that the, the, the reviewers and, and the jury understand why this film needs to be told now and will still be relevant for, us for, for years to come. It's also very important, I think, as much as possible to illustrate at least the skeletal arc of the film and, and, and the questions that, that you as a filmmaker that you're grappling with. And if you have participants, great. You have to you know, write it in uh, into the grant application. And so it doesn't have to be like, this is how the film is going to be with so much clarity. It should have, this is how I think it's going to be. These are the questions that I'm exploring. These are the things that my team or as a filmmaker, you know, I'm still struggling with. And this is where getting funding to address this, this, this will come in handy. And this is how this film that I'm working on is different from what is already out there. And I think this, that's what makes a great application. And also, uh, yeah, the whether or not, and, and this is something that I think a lot of grantors don't say, but what we're looking for is also meaningful collaboration. So if the filmmaker is saying all this in gaps of knowledge and, 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 and potential gaps in perspective in authorship, and, but it's not addressed in the makeup of the team, hmm, question. Hmm. I want to end on future looking in documentary. I mean, you just got back from Doc NYC. Are there any like trends or anything that you're like seeing in documentary happening now that's like really exciting to you or interesting to you? Um, I'm thinking about the films that really, I, I you know, I watched that I found really amazing and journalistically like solid. One film um, that I really thought was just so powerful is called Anonymous Sister by Jamie Boyle. Um, and the film, it really is about the opioid crisis, but it's told through her family. It's so personal and, and so beautifully crafted. And the film also has the salesperson for Purdue Pharmaceuticals. So like that film, like checks all the boxes for enterprise documentary fund. 
and it has a perspective. It harmed her her family. I mean, it's it's still harming her family members, um, and it's it's something larger at play. But it's told through her experience and her family's experience. Beautiful film. Highly recommend. It's it's amazing, Jenny. And another film that、um, also one of our enterprise documentary grantees is Boycott, and it is about、uh, boycott, divest, and sanction. But it's not how one would think about BDS and that movement. It is told through、um, three unlikely、uh, participants. One. A Muslim、uh, schoolteacher in Texas. The second participant, uh, Ari- uh, uh, Arkansas uh, ma- news magazine publisher, and the third is is a lawyer. And they started noticing these anti BDS protests, anti BDS support、um, uh, items in 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 various contracts in their work contracts and. Whatever's contracts in, in in different states and and they realized you know like look this is a free speech issue. This is anybody and everybody who believes in the First Amendment should be very concerned about this. It checks all the boxes: relevant, important, stakes are high,、um, and 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 journalistic in every way. You know.、Uh, So, so that's what we're 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 looking for, and and I hope this answers your question on what I'm really excited about because、yeah. it's really it's really seeing how filmmakers interpret、um, what is journalism,、mm. and different filmmakers will have different perspectives, and they will bring very essential stories for our society,、uh, and that I feel is what's special about our independent documentary space,、um, which is so needed. On top of what we see in the news, because it can make you feel so profoundly and think about issues in ways that one has not.、Mm, definitely, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Poe,、um, for being on the podcast. This has just been a fascinating conversation. I do a lot of these interviews, and this is one of the ones I know I'm not going to have to do a lot of editing because like <laughs> everything you said was fascinating. So,、um, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Jenny. It was lovely chatting. Rough Cut is hosted and produced by me, Jenny Butler, and Sky Dylan Robbins, and our original music is by Zach Wright. And the podcast is part of the Video Consortium, which is a global creative network and community that unites today's nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists. You can visit videoconsortium.com, and we'd love for you to join our film family. And we love hearing from listeners. So if you'd like to send us a note, you can find us on Instagram at at roughcutpodcast, or you can send us an email podcast at videoconsortium dot com. And don't forget to rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Thank you, and see you soon.